mercy and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today will be taken from the reading we just heard in the Gospel of Luke. You may be seated. We continue with the word of prayer. Almighty Father, you have granted us access into your presence and you desire to hear our prayers. We pray this day, O Lord, that as we come to this passage, you would teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit how we are to pray and to pray faithfully. Now, Lord, grant us your Holy Spirit so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this morning I'm going to start off with a show of hands here. Who here this morning feels as though they have the perfect and ideal prayer life. Good. Wrong. All right, that's good. Uh, uh, yeah, no, it, this is a hard one. Like, I, I see people describe, like, ideal prayer warriors or champions of prayer as someone like this. They wake up before the sunrise, and they begin their day singing psalms and hymns which they have memorized to praise God's name, and after an hour and a half of praising and the sun starts to rise, they finally get down to the prayers for the day, right? And then they really just dive in. Uh, and if that's how you view the perfect prayer life, uh, you've probably made it impossible for yourself, and honestly, you make prayer a little bit too overwhelming. I, for one, am not one of those people who have the perfect and ideal prayer life. To be strictly honest with you, I struggle uh, with prayer time. I struggle with my prayer life. And I remember a number of years ago, I wanted to read a book to get some help on this, but every time you go to one of these prayer books, they just become more burdensome and they just seem to heap more guilt on your shoulders and make you feel worse about how you're not accomplishing, accomplishing the things you should be accomplishing in prayer, whatever that might mean. So I went to this book, it's called Grace Upon Grace by a guy named John Kleinig, a wonderful uh, Lutheran theologian out of Australia. And it's a book on sort of Christian spirituality. And when I came to the chapter on prayer, I was ready for all of that guilt to just come my way. But he starts the chapter off like this, and it completely set me free. He said, the story of my spiritual life has been a story of disappointment with myself and with my performance. A story that from my point of view is marked much more, uh, by much more failure than success. Every time I turn prayer, my prayer life around, I seem to run out of steam. And that, that might sound discouraging, but I read that and I thought, oh, I'm not alone in this thing. And this guy got published, so he must know what he's talking about. So we're all okay, right? It's all right for us to struggle with this. I think a lot of our thinking and our teaching on prayer deals in and results in guilt and frustration. We play that enough game, which we talk about around here. I don't pray enough. I'm not sincere enough. I can't focus enough on my prayers, so my prayers are falling short, and we just heap more guilt on our shoulders. What's more, sometimes we pray, and we don't get the answers we were looking for, and we begin to struggle with it. Why am I praying at all if God isn't going to do what I say? And suddenly, our struggles in prayer and our unanswered prayers turn into sort of theological theological conundrum. Why do this at all? If God's going to get His way, if God is sovereign and all-powerful, why, why does He get what He wants, and what's the point of me saying anything at all? Remember the old Garth Brooks song, Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayer. Well, good for you, Garth. I don't. <laughs> I struggle with this. 
But why pray at all? And all of this thinking and frustration suggests to me, to at least a certain extent, that we've sort of misunderstood both the point of prayer and what prayer actually is. We view prayer as a burden, as a demand, a demand that God makes upon us, and perhaps even worse, a demand that we place upon God, or we see it as sort of this philosophical and theological conundrum. And in all of this frustration and in all of this guilt, we've missed something very important. That prayer, first and foremost, is a gift. It's a gift. It's a present that Jesus has purchased for you with his own blood. It's a gift that the Lord Jesus gives to you. It is the gift of access to the Heavenly Father. Jesus has given you access to God in heaven, and the Father has bent his ear to listen to what you have to say. It's an invitation into the throne room of God to bring before him all of your prayers and all of your petitions. It's a gift. It's a gift that God gives only, we might say, to his priests. Now, here's something you have to think about in, in terms of your Christian life. You are what we call a priest in the kingdom of God. The theological phrase from the Reformation here we call the priesthood of all believers. Every Christian, by virtue of their baptism, is a priest in the kingdom of God. Now, in the Old Testament, the priests had a number of jobs, but one of their jobs was to pray. They were to go into the temple and bring the prayers of Israel into God's presence. Now, they couldn't just waltz in there on their own because they were sinful people and God is a holy God and his holiness would have crushed them. So before the priests ever entered into the temple, they would have to sacrifice an animal so blood would be shed to atone for their sins. Their sins had to be paid for with shed blood. And then they would cleanse themselves with water. Then, after that, after the cleansing and the forgiveness took place, they were then able to enter into God's presence. Well, think about this for yourself. Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, has shed his blood for you. All of your sins, all of your sins, have been atoned for, paid for with the blood of Jesus Christ. You are forgiven and your sins are no longer held against you because they were held against Jesus Christ. Blood was shed to atone for you. And then, in the waters of holy baptism, God washed you clean. He took that atoning work and applied it to you. You were washed in the water of baptism. You might even say it this way. In the waters of baptism, Jesus cleansed you with his blood. So the blood was shed, and you were washed. And now then, as priests, you're able to enter into the presence of the holy God. And you don't have to be afraid of how he's going to treat you when you get there. Because he has no sins left to punish. They've all been taken care of by Jesus Christ. You enter into the presence, yes, of a holy God. But Jesus has given you a dear father who delights to have his children in his presence and wants to hear from you, wants to hear what you have to say. So as a priest, you enter into God's holy presence with your prayer. You go before your father with requests, and he is a good and loving father who's ready to answer. Jesus says it this way, what father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father 
give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. You go to God asking for the Holy Spirit, asking for good gifts. The Father stands ready to give these things. But along, so we have that wonderful promise, but it doesn't necessarily solve our problem. It doesn't necessarily answer our question about why pray at all with God's sovereignty because we all still have this struggle. It's wonderful to have these promises and it's wonderful to have this access. But why pray at all if God is yet just going to do things His way and isn't going to necessarily do what I want? God's not a genie after all. We don't rub the lamp and just get three wishes. He's the all-sovereign, all-powerful God and His will will be done. So then what's the point of prayer if God is sovereign. I had a, a conversation with a friend of mine recently who, who told me a story about a time when he was in seminary. Now, he's from a, a non-Lutheran seminary, a, a, another Christian church. We'll call it the Reformed Church body, Calvinistic, if that means anything to you. Uh, and this is a question that many of the people in that tradition really do struggle with. Uh, and, and one day, uh, my friend was in class with his professor. His professor is sort of a well-known uh, theologian by the name of R.C. Sproul. Perhaps you've heard of that guy. And uh, one of the students in the class raised their hand and said, Dr. Sproul, why do we pray if God is all-powerful and sovereign and is going to get his way anyway? And Sproul looked at the guy, and I, I love this answer. He said to the guy, listen, why do you pray if God is sovereign? You pray because God is sovereign and all-powerful. You pray because he's the one who has the power to actually fulfill your prayer." Now, I'd actually take it one step further and say, you pray because God is all-sovereign, all-powerful, and what's more, because he loves you, because he wants you in his presence, because he's promised to answer your prayers, and he wants to have you before him speaking to him. He's all-powerful, and he wants to use his all-powerfulness, that's a theological term, uh, for your good. And so we pray. And that's kind of what I want to do today, then. I want to go a little bit deeper into that question. Why do we pray at all? What is the point? Why do we do this? And in order to do that, we're going to pose that question to Jesus today. We're going to pose that question to the text from Luke chapter 11. And we're going to look at this passage and say, according to Jesus, why is it that we should pray? And I think from the text, we get three answers. And then sort of one more answer that we can derive from all of this. So there will be four reasons today why it is we pray. And the first reason is pretty straightforward. You pray because God told you to. Because he said so. It's, it's just that simple. He commands it. And in a sense, this is, this is the law. But we pray because God said to do it. Listen again. The disciples come to Jesus. And they say, Jesus, how should we pray? Jesus says to them, when you pray, say this. Command. Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. These are all commands Jesus gives to us, telling us that we are to turn to God in prayer. Now, it's interesting, Martin Luther, in speaking on this in, in his large catechism, actually says that when we don't obey this command, when we don't pray, God gets angry with us. And we think, well, that's kind of surprising. Why would God be angry if I don't pray? Because God knows something about it. God knows that you are his beloved creature, and he is your creator. And he knows that you depend on him for everything. Everything in your life is dependent upon God. And if you're not turning to him in prayer, this is probably evidence that you don't trust him, that you don't have faith in him, that you're looking to something else. 
for everything you need in life. You're trusting something else. You're following or worshiping or turning to an idol. Whether that idol is yourself or something else in this world, you're not trusting God for all good things. You're turning to a false idol. And an idol, by definition, cannot provide those things for you. An idol may promise it, but an idol is a false god full of false promises that cannot take care of you. God knows he's the only one who can provide for you. God knows that you depend on him for everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything for, for breath, for, for work, for family, for friends, for food, for shelter, and then, of course, for forgiveness and for life and for salvation. And God gives these things to you graciously, and you depend on him endlessly. And so we acknowledge in prayer that when we turn to God, it's in God that we live and we move and we have our being. So prayer is following God's will and turning to Him to trust Him for provision in life, in movement, and in existence. We pray because He tells us. But God doesn't stop with just the law. He never does seem to just stop. But He follows this commandment with a wonderful promise. It's a glorious good news, a gospel word. Ask, he says, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Listen to what Jesus promises today. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or, he says it this way, Jesus is just kind of building on the Psalms here, the Psalms that say this, call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you. We pray not just because God commands it, but also because God promises to answer the prayers. That's the second reason. Because God has promised to hear your prayers and to answer them for your good. He stands ready to give you all of his good gifts. Now, this one I think we struggle with more than with the, the first one. God commands us to pray, that kind of makes sense. But here when he promises to answer, this is where we begin to struggle because we'll say things like, listen, I've prayed for things and it hasn't happened the way I wanted it to. I prayed for some things that were probably selfish and I understand that, but I've also prayed for things that I think are good things and the right things. And the opposite has happened. What's going on with this? Like I've prayed for the healing of somebody I love and they didn't get healed. What's going on there? Well, there's a few things we need to remember here. First, that prayer for healing may have not happened now. We always want to view things from the perspective of the resurrection. And when we see that person, when Christ comes again, and we will see how God has healed them, we will be amazed at the healing that has taken place for all of eternity. So we, we have to keep that in mind. The other thing we need to think about here is this. Is that when we pray, we need to remember our position in prayer. Prayer is faith. Prayer is trusting that God is going to hear what I say and answer according to his will and for my good. Prayer is not a command I make upon God to control him. Prayer doesn't put me in the driver's seat of God's activity, of God's action. Prayer is trusting that God is going to hear me and do all things for my good. And so in this way, God promises, I will hear you and I will do all things for your good. That doesn't mean you can give me a list of demands and expectations and I'm going to do all of it. Again, he's not a genie in a bottle that just sits there to grant your wishes. But he's the almighty, all-powerful God who loves you and does all things for your good. 
So that when you pray, you probably need a little bit of guidance. And you probably need a little bit of help so you know what it is you should pray for. You know what it is you should pray for. Or think about it like this. God knows what you need even before you ask Him. That's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. God knows what you need even before you ask Him. So let God show you what you need with the prayer that He gives you. And now here's the third reason why we pray, because Jesus gives us the actual words to pray. He says this to the disciples, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, if you're paying close attention, you'll notice that it sounded like there's a few phrases that were not uh, there. Uh, Jesus, in Matthew's Gospel, when he's preaching about uh, prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, gives us the entire Lord's Prayer there. Here's a different teaching on prayer where he gives us kind of a truncated version. But we still have basically all the same themes here of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, when you pray, here's the thing God knows you need. God knows you need his work in your life and in this world. So you pray for his name to be hallowed. You pray for his kingdom to come, for his reign to spread through preaching and the sacrament throughout the world. And you pray for his will to be done over and against uh, the evil works and the evil desires of the devil. We pray for his will to be done. Now, is God going to do all these things on his own? Of course he is. But we pray these things so that we know that he would do them in our lives personally as well. And then Jesus teaches us to pray for what we need uh, in our daily lives. Uh, pray for daily bread, which includes everything from food and shelter, housing, home, work, family, friends, all these sorts of things. Pray for daily bread, for the forgiveness of our sins, and to be able to live a life where our, our relationships are reconciled and at peace because of the forgiveness we show. We pray for God to protect us from Satan and, and, and to not let us fall into temptations which are arising around us all the time. Jesus knows that these are the very things we need for life and for salvation. And so he gives them to us. He commands us to pray, he promises to listen, and then he gives us the very words that we are to say. And then we begin to build on those. That, that Lord's Prayer is sort of a foundational prayer that we then begin to build on with our own prayers and our own petitions. But I think what giving us this Lord's Prayer shows us is something very important. Here's the fourth reason why we pray. We pray because we are constantly in need. We depend on God for everything. And I've said this multiple times already, but I just want to reiterate the point. We depend on God for everything. We depend on God, our Creator, to give us life and sustain our life in this creation. We depend on God, our Savior, because we're constantly tempted in falling into sin. See, as a creature, you depend on God for your life. As a Christian, you must recognize that as a disciple of Jesus, you will bear a cross constantly. You will constantly be attacked by the devil. You will constantly have temptations coming your way. You will constantly be wrestling with sin. And if anything in this life depended on you alone, you would, be crumble, you would crumble immediately. We depend on God for everything. We must turn to him for all things in this life. It's interesting to think about. The Christian recognizes that they are dependent. They are needy. And God knows this about us. We, we talk about this a lot in the church. We talk about a mature Christian. Perhaps you've heard this language before. And I think a mature Christian, I'm very nervous about that kind of language for a lot of reasons. But I think mainly I get nervous about that language. 
because we confuse maturity in our Christian faith with maturity in this world. In maturity with this world, how do we think about maturity? Think about someone who is mature, who is independent, right? Like you look at your kids and you say, if I want a mature child, that means they're going to make wise decisions on their own. They're going to grow up. They're going to move out, maybe. Uh, they're going to get a job and they're going to sort of take care of themselves. Someone who is mature who is, is someone who is able to live independently. It's the opposite in the faith. In the faith, maturity is not someone who is independent, recognizes how dependent they are on God at all times. The more we grow in our Christian walk, the more we begin to recognize our sin, the more we begin to recognize the attacks of the devil, the more we begin to recognize our own weakness and our own need. Sort of this reverse maturity. So that what prayer is, is action. Uh, uh, we might say that prayer is action that such mature dependence takes. Prayer acknowledges and recognizes that we need God for everything. And it knows that God is happy to answer. God is ready to give. So Martin Luther writes in his large catechism, whenever a good Christian prays, and understand good Christian there means you who are baptized and belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever you pray, dear Father, your will be done. God replies from above, yes, dear child, it shall be done. Indeed, in spite of the devil and all the world, God's will will be done for you indeed. So you pray. Because God commands you to do it. Because He promises to hear your prayers and answer them for your good. Because He gives you the words to say. And you need Him at every moment of every day. So you pray. And God loves to have you in His presence. God delights to hear from you. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your dear Son, Jesus Christ. That you do draw us into your presence. That you bring us to yourself in prayer so that we might lay before you all of our burdens, all of our prayers, and all of our petitions. Lord, we pray that you would teach us to trust you in prayer, knowing that you work all things for our good. Help us to come to you constantly as you constantly come to us with your word and sacrifice. Forgive and sustain us. Bless us this day in Jesus' name. Amen.